Welcome to the History of the Saints podcast. My name is Glenn Rawson, series host. What you are about to listen to is an episode about the documentary history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This episode is one of more than 250 presentations from 1805 and the birth of Joseph Smith the Prophet through 1877 and the death of Brigham Young. This series interviews some of the finest scholars of our time and presents the latest in historical research and facts as it relates to early Latter-day Saint history. And it comes from the long-running, highly acclaimed television documentary series, History of the Saints. If you have a desire to learn the history in depth and detail, then this podcast is for you. Thank you for joining us. It has been borne upon my soul that one of my descendants will promulgate a work to revolutionize the world of religious faith, Asel Smith. President Brigham Young said of the prophet Joseph Smith, the Lord had his eyes upon him and upon his father and upon his father's father and upon their progenitors clear back to Abraham. He has watched that family and the blood of that man as it circulated from its fountain to the birth of that man. So what do we know about the ancestors of Joseph Smith and what was the influence of those ancestors on Joseph Smith Jr.? That is this episode of History of the Saints. The interesting thing I found in working with the prophet and his family is that you can read all the history books of that period and not know what they went through because the history of an individual is really centered in the history of his family. I don't think most Latter-day Saints know that that uh, Joseph Smith during his entire life referred often to his uh, American heritage, and particularly uh, his two grandfathers. Uh, he, he said, it's a love of liberty that instills my soul, which I learned being dandled on the knees of my grandfathers. And indeed, both of his grandfathers, uh, both uh, his grandfather Smith and his grandfather Solomon Mack, were veterans of the American Revolution. So when Joseph was dandled on his knee, and he indeed was, both grandfathers were available to him as a boy. He did learn the love of liberty and heard the tales of the struggles during the American Revolution. Joseph was the product of his heritage. He was a product of his parents and his grandparents and the traditions that had come to him down from those lines. And I don't think you can find another person alive at the same time as the prophet who had any greater heritage into those wonderful days of the founding of, of America, the founding of the Republic, the ideals that brought us to the Constitution, for example. And he was full of love for that. The grandparents of Joseph Smith grew up in a, a rather godless era and the nation turned more to religion so that by the time Joseph Smith was dead, there were more people that belonged to churches than in the colonial period. Now, what church did they belong to? On both sides, Joseph Smith came from third-generation Puritans. The real story of the family is a religious story, and along with formal religion, the two grandmother wives maintained in the congregational church is their seeking a better way 
their husbands were seekers, basically. Solomon Mack found conversion to Christ and Christianity, and Asel Smith found conversion to Mormonism at the end. And so as we look back at the Smith ancestry across to England and New England, particularly Topsfield, to move on up to Vermont, uh, it's quite a story of uh, not only the Smiths and their struggles and their growth, but also the story of America in those centuries. And it's uh, been a great joy for me to be able to to look at uh, this in a little more detail, and it certainly has uh, strengthened my respect for and feelings about the Smith family. Robert Smith was born in Tilton, a little tiny town, still a small place, in Lincolnshire, England, in April of 1626. So we begin our story then over in England and then move to New England. Robert arrived in Massachusetts in 1638, only 12 years old. Robert happened to be a tailor and probably was apprenticed as such. After completing the indenture, he then moved up on the North Shore above Boston and lived in several different places. He was out on the coast in Ipswich, he was in Boxford, he was in Rowley, and eventually was in Topsfield. So he was all around that area on the shore north of Boston, about uh, 20 miles north. He married Mary French from Topsfield. They had 10 children, and their son uh, Samuel was born in 1666. He married Rebecca Curtis, one of the big families in, in early Topsfield. And then we have Samuel Jr. He had a rather distinguished revolutionary career, serving in the Revolutionary War. He actually served in local government, was a part of the Boston Tea Party movement, and in the first Provincial Congress of Massachusetts, as well as serving as an officer in the Revolution. pull out at least three chief characteristics of this five generations of Smith family. Number one, I tended to say patriotic, but perhaps civically responsible uh, members of the community. They were religious. They were members of the Congregational Church until some of the later generations, as we will see, began to wonder about institutional religion as it existed. And finally, they were successful. They were socially accepted. They carried their own weight economically. And so these are the basic characteristics of the Smiths, which they, which would still be in, in, in some measure uh, identifiable by in some members of that community and of course among the, their descendants in, the, uh, in various parts of the world today. Samuel Smith, the prophet's great-grandfather, served a half a dozen terms in the state legislature, a dozen terms as a selectman of his town, as a town clerk, and as an officer in the colonial army. He also served on numerous committees that promoted and assisted the American Revolution. When he passed away, his obituary read as follows. His usefulness, it said, was imminent. He was a sincere friend to the liberties of his country and a strenuous advocate for the doctrines of Christianity. The memory of the just is blessed. 
Asel Smith, Joseph Smith's grandfather, also married someone from Topsfield, Mary Duty. After living elsewhere for a time, Asel Smith came back to Topsfield because his father had incurred some indebtedness. This happened as a result of the Depression during the 1780s, after the shock of the war and all, and so he responsibly came back and worked to pay off the debt. Asel Smith also served in the Revolution. He was not an officer, but did see some combat in the New York area. Bless God that you live in a land of liberty and bear yourselves dutifully and conscionably towards the authority under which you live. See God's providence in the appointment of the federal constitution and hold union and order as a precious jewel. Asel Smith. After five years and much money in trouble, Asel cleared his father's debts, sold the Topsfield farm, and set out for virgin land in Vermont. In the White River area in Vermont, he began a pioneering expedition with his family starting with nothing but their willpower and axe and their Bible. He moved to an area that we identify as Tunbridge, Vermont, not too far from where the place the prophet was born, and acquired at first 83 acres of forest land, which he and his sons then cleared uh, for agricultural purposes. Eventually, they acquired a great deal of property which uh, amounted to between three and 400 acres as they succeeded in making a profit and investing in more land. And so it's there that, uh, that Joseph Smith Sr., the father of Joseph Smith the prophet, uh, grew up. Eventually, Asel and family established a compound of adjoining farms, each son having a portion. Now, through it all, Asel was a man particularly devoted to his family. My last request and charge is that you will live together in an undivided bond of love. You are many of you, and if you join together as one man, you need not want anything. And when you have neither father or mother left, be so many fathers and mothers to each other. Asel Smith. Asel Smith, though a deeply religious man, had his own ideas about organized religion. When he got to Tunbridge... He actually, with his sons and a lot of neighbors, about two dozen, filed a document that exempted them from the town tax. Religion and government were tied together in New England until almost the 1830s. And by state law, they could file an affidavit that they were members of another minority religion, and they didn't have to pay the tax to the town. So that identifies Asel Smith as a universalist because he helped establish a universalist society. And so he... Became involved in universalism, which essentially, basically, is a softer version of Calvinism, which, in a correction, which says that everyone can be saved through the atonement, and it leans very heavily on the doctrine of grace. And so he felt that that was more appealing. Asel died in 1830, but he lived long enough to learn of the Book of Mormon. My grandfather Asel died after having received the Book of Mormon and read it nearly through, and he declared that I was the very prophet that he had long known would come in his family. Joseph Smith. And when the reports came of the activities of Joseph Smith to him, his children said how excited he was and how he said, I knew that someone among my descendants would just change the whole scene in terms of religious history. And indeed, that has been the case. 
A few years back, History of the Saints began production of seven seasons of a documentary television series titled History of the Saints. Season one, Foundations of the Restoration. Season two, Joseph Smith's Kirtland. Season three, From Pentecost to Persecution, the Missouri Years. And season four, Joseph Smith's Nauvoo. Then three more seasons telling the story of Brigham Young and the Saints, beginning with the Nauvoo Exodus in 1846, titled Gathering to the West. Then Building Zion. And finally, the kingdom endures. Altogether, over 100 hours of Latter-day Saint pioneer history. For these and all of History of the Saints books and DVD products, visit us at historyofthesaints.org. On his mother's side, Joseph Smith had seven ancestors on the Mayflower. That's about as many as you're going to find of anybody at that particular time in American history. So the prophet was tied in very, very uh, deeply into the earliest days of the Republic and earliest days of America. If you trace the history of the prophet, it goes back into the earliest days of the English settlers in America, but they were common folk. Joseph Smith's mother is a remarkable woman. She actually wrote her story, and it began with the story of her father who had been converted to Christianity and wrote his own story at the end of his life. So we really have documents to tell what was going on in the families religiously. Lucy's father, Solomon Mack, was born September the 15th, 1732 in Lyme, Connecticut. The son of Ebenezer Mack and Hannah Huntley and the grandson of a prosperous trader named John Mack. Now, when Solomon was just very young, maybe about four years of age, his father lost his land and became unable to care for his children. They were indentured out to various families in the area. In speaking of his indentured servitude, Solomon said, I was treated by my master as his property and not as his fellow mortal. We think that Solomon basically ran away from an oppressive master who had not given him much education and joined the forces in the American militia in the French and Indian Wars. He spent six years in the uh, militia fighting in both the French and Indian War and then in the Revolution. And then after serving in an artillery company from Connecticut in the Revolutionary War, Solomon Mack, with his two sons, shipped aboard an American privateer to prey on British shipping. He was rewarded from his military experiences by land in Connecticut, which led him to his wife, Lydia Gates. She was born the same year that Solomon was born in 1732. And Lydia was a very devout congregationalist and completed her baptism as a child and was devout all of her life. But Solomon was a plunger. He was an enterpriser and a risk taker. And you can almost name any profession that works in the colonial era and Solomon engaged in it. And really, he came near death more times than anybody I can think of in personal history. He, he rivals and exceeds Wilfred Woodruff, who tells about all of the accidents in his youth. In the midst of all of Solomon's adventures and adventures trying to make a living, there was something constant and subliminal in a way, but a real force of religion in that family. It came from the mother. 
Solomon regretted his life toward the end, mainly because he had rejected religion and did not have the benefits of it. And the thing that changed his life and his mind was his wife. He became incapacitated in uh, the years just before 1810. Remember, Joseph Smith was born in 1805 uh, in a house that Solomon was renting to Joseph's parents. Solomon Mack described himself as a vile wretch. He told one day early on in his conversion experience, sitting in his cabin by the fireside, overcome with pain, and praying to the Lord as he sat there for a token, for a sign that the Lord was with him. He asked that if the Lord was really there, that his pain would be eased that night. And then he said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. I was entirely free from pain that night and rejoiced in the God of my salvation. Solomon was converted. And so Lydia, the religious one, um, was was the one that was really the mentor or the missionary in converting Solomon Mack to Christ. And Solomon wrote uh, the narrative of his life, telling about his adventures, but ending up with a crescendo of finding God and knowing that Christ was the Savior and bearing his testimony that that was the case. I have a love to all, rich and poor. Come all to Jesus, my friends. Come to Jesus and he will not cast you off. Oh, come, come. How sweet is the love of Jesus. How beautiful is the love of God. Solomon Mack. And Solomon actually rode his horse around. He was crippled. A tree had fallen on him in midlife. And that's just one of the many things that happened to him. But he could ride side saddle. He could get a woman's saddle and uh, get on his horse, which gave him mobility. And he took his pamphlet around and he spoke uh, to young people and tried to lead them into the religious life that he wished that he had had. Solomon died the same year as the first vision, 1820. Lucy Mack was born the youngest daughter of Solomon Mack on July the 8th, 1775 at Gilson, New Hampshire, just three weeks after the Battle of Bunker Hill. Joseph Smith Sr. was born July 12, 1771 at Topsfield, Massachusetts, the second son of Asel. Now, Joseph Sr. and Lucy met for the first time in 1794 at Tunbridge, Vermont. Now, in that place, uh, today there is a general store in Tunbridge which has been somewhat modernized, but is reputed to be the same store which was there uh, when he lived there, and that is where uh, Joseph Smith Sr. and Lucy Mack met in that store. She was visiting in the town with one of her brothers. And so that's where it's, so it's in Tunbridge, Vermont, that the Smiths and the Macs come together. 
Joseph Sr. and Lucy were married January 24, 1796 at Tunbridge, Vermont, by Justice of the Peace, Seth Austin. When Joseph Smith was newly married, he lived in Tunbridge. Uh, his father, Asel, had opened a farm there, and Asel and his sons developed a family cooperative where uh, the older sons were ab- able to benefit by the hard work of uh, of turning forests into into tilled land. Lucy and Joseph uh, received a, an endowment, uh, not a religious endowment, but a uh, wedding gift from her older brother uh, Stephen Mack, who was a reincarnation of. Solomon Mack in his ventures in Detroit in the West. But Stephen Mack was in a partnership with a man named Mudgett. They were traders in land, had a, a store in Tunbridge, and were fairly wealthy men in a new country. And they got together. Well, the partner admired Lucy so much. Uh, she'd been in Tunbridge for a while off and on, tending uh, some of Stephen's big family. And so uh, Mudgett said to S- Stephen Mack, uh, what are you going to give your, do- your sister as a wedding present? And, and uh, he said, I hadn't thought about it yet. He said, I have 500. If you'll match it, I'll give it. And so they got $1,000 to start out. And so is the story of the grandfathers that dandled young Joseph Smith Jr. on their knees and imbued him with principles and indelible values that would last a lifetime. And also, thus is the beginnings of the family of Joseph Smith Sr. and Lucy Mack. When we return, we'll talk about those terrible misfortunes that took the Smith family from New England to a place in New York that would come to be called Camorra. I'm Glenn Rawson, and we'll see you then. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on what you have listened to, please go to historyofthesaints.org. The History of the Saints team that produced this podcast has also produced numerous books and full-length documentaries on early Latter-day Saint church history and the key figures that made that history. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time. This podcast of History of the Saints has been produced by Dennis Lyman and Glenn Rawson. History of the Saints is a 501c3 nonprofit organization.